Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day, a new week, a new month. Hope you had a good weekend. We're ready to go. Lots to talk about. We'll be talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson about the March weather forecast. FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce will join us. We'll talk about deadlines, sign-ups, a lot of things uh, with USDA programs. And we're going to talk with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Lots going on with biofuels. The announcement last week on infrastructure. We're awaiting a decision, an announcement this week from EPA on waivers to the RFS. So lots to talk about on biofuels with Jeff Cooper. That's coming up later in the program. I want to start things off, though, by welcoming a new affiliate to our AOA family of stations. Very happy to welcome KREI AM 800 Farmington, Missouri. They join us starting today, and great to have them on board. KREI AM 800 Farmington, Missouri, welcome aboard. Our first guest this morning knows that area very well, Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. You're certainly familiar with the Farmington, Missouri area, aren't you? Yes, I am. Good morning, Mike, and I am looking forward to the time when I get back to Missouri so I can listen to your newest station. So congratulations (laughs) on your new addition. Thank you very much. Great to have them a part of our uh, AOA family. And it was great to see you last week in San Antonio for Commodity Classic. We have a lot to uh, go over from what we heard last week and then what we may hear this week. Let's start with Secretary Purdue's comments last week at Commodity Classic. It seems like the more he and other USDA officials try to downplay another round of MFP payments, the more skeptical people become because we know it's an election year. We know what the president has said and done in the past. But again, uh, Secretary Purdue was uh, trying to trying to convince us that uh, as of now, anyway, no plans for another round of MFP payments. Absolutely, Mike. That seemed to be his thesis is that you need to plant for the market. And if there's too much supply in the market, then that's because farmers weren't following market signals and he wants to put it all on the marketplace. But we know well that the coronavirus and other issues may really dampen what the Chinese are able to do. We also know it's a year divisible by four. And so as much as Secretary Purdue was on stage at Commodity Classic and talking about, well, you know, the president did tweet that he would support the farmers and he loves the farmers and you know, all the things that, that he continued to say, the Secretary Purdue pointed out that in the president's tweet, there was a word, if, if these things don't emerge. So he wanted to try to balance expectations there, and I'm not so sure he convinced a lot of people it wasn't going to happen for a third round of MFP. Yeah, with all due respect to Secretary Purdue, um, when it comes to these announcements, I think if it had come from Larry Kudlow, it would have carried more weight now than Secretary Purdue. And when he started talking about not wanting farmers to plant for payments, but rather for the market, well, that's what we heard uh, last spring. Absolutely. And, you know, farmers do want to plant for the market. They just want market signals to improve so that they can have a clear pathway for what they should plant going into this season. And as you know, um, there are a lot of folks who keep thinking that these uh, exemptions that will kick in 
for the Chinese importers today uh, will start to open up some pathways. And as we reported in our daybreak this morning, you know, there were purchases of U.S. sorghum. It's not clear that all of them were from China, but 119,000 metric tons of sorghum were going. Uh, an additional 324-some thousand metric tons also were signaled for unknown destinations that we think may go to China. So perhaps there are some openings here in the marketplace, but Talking to Jim Sutter from U.S. Soybean Export Council, he suggested that those Chinese deals will be forthcoming, but let's face it, right now is when they usually buy from Brazil, so they're not likely going to buy, take those exemptions and start buying U.S. soybeans quite yet. Meanwhile, now looking ahead to this week, a lot of anticipation on an announcement from EPA on their policy for granting small refinery exemptions to the RFS and how that the recent court ruling will impact that decision. Yes, and Secretary Purdue talked about this as well. Uh, as you noted, Mike, there was an attempt uh, circuit court case that suggested uh, that uh, the administration could not be granting all of these small refinery exemptions, but it was based on three cases. And then the secretary at Classics said that EPA would likely significantly reduce the number of SREs. Honestly, we thought that late Friday night when everybody was already exhausted from Classic, we would get the EPA announcement. Now we're just on EPA watch to see when it might happen this week. And I know you've got other guests to talk about this, but um, we do think it's forthcoming that they will clarify that they will likely not appeal uh, the Tenth Circuit court case and actually uh, clarify how they're going to treat these SREs. And here again, uh, well, it's good to hear from Secretary Purdue on this. The person we need to hear from really is Andrew Wheeler at EPA, and we're waiting for that. Um, also looking at, back at last week at, at Commodity Classic, uh, it was interesting just to talk with uh, producers from various commodities from various parts of the country. What did you pick up on as far as mood and attitude and, and, and outlook for 2020? I actually thought that people were pretty upbeat, Mike. Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, when you're at that trade show, that perhaps breeds a little bit more optimism because you're around a lot of your peers. But there was record farmer attendance, um, over 4,400 and, and I, I don't remember the final amount, but it was the, the largest number of farmers they've ever had show up and second largest number of total uh, participants in the commodity classics. So I didn't see a lot of people out there actually uh, saying they were going to buy new equipment, but there are a lot of folks looking. Uh, there are some folks talking to us about the fact that um, they, they still would consider some land expansion so uh, it was a fairly upbeat crowd from the folks that we talked to, uh, with the expectation, of course, that they are very leery on what's happening in trade. They they just would like to see some certainty, and they would love to see uh, market improvement, of course. I want to mention, you've got a big event coming up uh, in the very near future now, this spring, that's your annual big summit. Tell us about it. Yeah, Mike, we've got our annual AgriPulse Food and Ag Summit that will be March 23rd at the National Press Club. We've got a real focus on the connections between food security and national security. And We didn't know a year ago we were going to be talking about so many different threats in addition to African swine fever and now coronavirus. But uh, we've invited Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. 
We've got both the chairman and the ranking members of the House and Senate Ag Committee, Ambassador Kip Tom. We've got some panels talking about whether the U.S. is really prepared for disease outbreaks, which is even more scary looking at what's happening on the human health side right now. And um, some overall uh, great discussions that will take place on March 23rd. Yeah, it looks like a great lineup that you have put together. Well, Sarah, thanks a lot. Great to see you last week. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Great to see you too, Mike. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Up next, we talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Stay with us on AOA. There's more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres? That's smart. In 2019 trials, Credenz CZ0419GTLL had a 2.3 bushel per acre advantage over a competitive Asgro variety in North Dakota. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credenz for a precise variety that fits your field. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, new month, new week. Let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, uh, there was some very mild weather over the weekend for parts of the Midwest. What's ahead this week? It's going to be a pretty decent week overall, Mike, uh, for the uh, northern and the central parts of the country. Uh, The rainfall is going to focus pretty much from Texas east uh, through the southern delta, Gulf Coast, southeast. They could get some pretty heavy rain there. But for uh, just about everywhere else, it's going to be pretty light uh, on the precipitation side. And uh, temperatures, by and large, are going to be above normal for this week. And that goes clear into the Canadian prairies, too. There may be some, uh, you know, some below normal in uh, the Big Bend area of Texas, and then uh, right around uh, the, you know, the uh, Colorado Rockies uh, toward Yellowstone Park. But uh, that's not uh, going to be uh, certainly in uh, crop country. And it's a lot different than a year ago, obviously, here in early March. Right. So let's talk crop country uh, as we start to, here we are now in the March. So we start kind of looking about to drying out enough to have those windows coming up soon. We're getting pretty close to when, those planters will roll in the Midwest. Uh, what are you seeing as far as how patterns are shaping up? I think that we're looking at a lot of segmented um, conditions for field work for this year, and and that that doesn't just mean an individual area, but um, I, I I think they're, that we're setting up to have some real big blocks of uh, the central U.S. have different conditions, Mike, and that's uh, what I talked about at Commodity Classic uh, during the past uh, week, weekend, uh, at the end of last week uh, down in San Antonio. The uh, northern part of the Corn Belt uh, from Interstate 90 north still has uh, pretty heavy snow cover and is likely to stay on a cooler track on temperatures. Uh, and that's where, obviously, also the uh, threat of uh, flooding for this spring is going to still be 
a pretty big uh, feature. And so I think that we're going to have some slowdowns, some disruptions in field work in that part of the country. Then over the uh, eastern Midwest, and by and large, uh, breaking it from the Mississippi Valley on east, and you could get a little bit more uh, refined than that if, if uh, you wanted to. I would say maybe Interstate 55 uh, through central Illinois, uh, east of there. Uh, conditions have been uh, pretty wet. Uh, lately, and I think that the uh, precipitation track is going to stay uh, fairly consistent and then extend southwest into the delta. So there's going to be some uh, spring rains to uh, complicate things on field work there. But then uh, certainly from the Mississippi River west and then south of I-90 and southwest, it is drier and it is milder, and I think that there's going to be a better scenario for doing field work for this year, uh, certainly a lot uh, faster start uh, than we saw a year ago in that uh, large block of uh, the crop area. Uh, so like I say, there's uh, some, some big segmentation and some big differences in a wide variety of field work conditions and uh, the prospects for that right now. What did you hear from producers last week in San Antonio? Well, I heard a number of things, and uh, it it fell pretty much in line with this uh, situation about a a wide variety in conditions. Uh, Producers from uh, the Dakotas and, um, you know, kind of uh, western Minnesota, uh, are very concerned about how things are going to be for this year. I mean, they they had a tough year last year, and uh, they're concerned about you know being able to to uh, you know get something uh, put together for uh, some somewhat of a better situation for this year in field work. Um, I talked to uh, growers from uh, Iowa and uh, and Nebraska, and uh, it is drier. And field work has actually kind of started uh, along a little bit. There's been even some uh, early fertilizer being put down and so forth. And then I visited with a grower from Ohio who had a very wet year last year. He didn't uh, get nearly the kind of acreage in that he's uh, typically uh, farming because he had to claim prevented planting. And he is still concerned about it being saturated in the eastern corn belt as well. Uh, so there was, um, you know, there there was a real variety, and that goes along with uh, what we're looking at right now. So not for everyone, but a little more than uh, maybe we were thinking just a few weeks ago. Things are looking a little more positive here as we get draw closer to spring planting time. They really are, and I and I mean, you know, you, in in looking at things uh, from from a real high level. Overall, it is a a better-looking weather pattern for the total U.S. crop uh, region than a year ago. There there is no doubt about it. I mean, you just can't get around the fact that January was a fairly mild month. February had its uh, had its you know adventures, but uh, was not real you know, real bitter cold, and uh, we're approaching March with uh, some of these, you know, variable conditions again. And a big feature, Mike, and again, this is something that I emphasized in in my remarks uh, during my presentation on Friday, was that uh, about three months ago, 
there was a real concern that we were going to have another adventure, so to speak, with the um, with a weak polar vortex uh, cold outbreak uh, like we had a year ago. That did not happen this year, and it, it's a big reason why we find ourselves having a more temperate overall situation right now. Yeah, you sound a little more optimistic because you had had uh, wet spring concerns uh, for several weeks now, even months, but you sound a little more optimistic on that front. I do, and, and, and I am after, um, after the way things are, have uh, evolved and, and are playing out. It, it is uh, truly looking, again, overall better uh, than it did uh, just a few months ago, and and I think that's to to everybody's benefit. I mean, uh, you know, last year was such a uh, such a a difficult year, damaging, dangerous, catastrophic. You, you know, you can't overstate it. And uh, things are looking better right now. All right, we're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. What's the uh, weather picture in South America? Well, it's looking a little bit troubling right now, uh, actually, in Argentina especially, because uh, they have been quite dry in the past couple weeks, Mike. Uh, just a little bit of uh, light showers uh, took place last week in, in Cordoba State. But um, this week, temperatures are going to be pushing the uh, middle 90s over much of the central Argentina crop belt, even possibly reaching 100 in southern Argentina, and it's going to stay dry. So they could have some late-season dry, dryness uh, stress their crop pretty quickly. And in southern Brazil, it is also dry. It's drier in central Brazil as well, which is good for soybean harvesting. But on the other hand, uh, their second crop, safrina corn, needs a shot of moisture to help things move along. And you've got to kind of wonder if the rainy season in South America hasn't started to ebb just a little bit and reach that seasonal uh, breaking point. Uh, so there's uh, not a blanket statement of uh, good weather right now for South America as we look at the uh, next uh, 7 to 10 days. Yeah, we keep a close watch there because uh, of the competitive situation. What about some other key uh, production areas around the world? Well, I do want to mention that in uh, Russia, uh, the um, the winter wheat in uh, the Black Sea region, along with Ukraine, came out of the season with no winter kill. They did not have any uh, cold weather hit, uh, even though they didn't have uh, very much snowfall. For this winter season, but uh, they didn't have any cold weather shock to the wheat crop. So the Black Sea area crops are looking uh, really quite favorable at this point. And um, in Australia, there's been some rain developed uh, to maybe help things out for the eastern drought, but uh, we know that their wheat crop has been damaged badly by that historic dryness that they had. All right. Well, it was a good time in San Antonio last week. Big crowd, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Uh, the, the convention uh, had a lot of uh, energy to it, and uh, I know that uh, from our DTN standpoint, we had good traffic in our booth, and I think a lot of other exhibitors did also. So it was a, a real successful event down there. Just got that feeling everyone was happy to have 2019 behind them and looking for a better 2020. Unanimous in that regard. There is there's no doubt about it. All right. Bryce, good to talk with you as always. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it.
Take care. DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Well, our next guest I also saw last week at Commodity Classic in San Antonio. That was Richard Fordyce, FSA administrator. He's going to join us next. We're going to look back at the sign-up for CRP, what he can tell us there as far as upcoming announcements. Some other sign-ups still going on, ARC PLC, uh, some decisions to be made there, disaster uh, decisions to make as far as sign-up there, more information. So lots to talk about with the FSA administrator, Richard Fordyce. He'll join us next from Washington, D.C. Stay with us here on AOA. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Anticipation that global central banks will ease interest rates in a coordinated reaction to the spread of coronavirus lifted grain futures in early trade. Corn and soybeans trending higher in the overnight session, while wheat futures were a bit easier. According to the latest CFTC Commitment of Traders report, managed money firms have been building short positions, especially in corn. In soybeans, May beans settled modestly lower on Friday, the market consolidating between Thursday's high and low to form an inside day. On the upside, a rally through initial soybean resistance on that May contract at 897, then 899 would be a bullish short-term signal if that were to occur early this week. An hour into the trading session, May soybeans at nine oh two and a quarter, up nine and a half. November up eight and a quarter at nine sixteen and a half. May corn up three at three seventy one and a quarter. December three seventy seven and three quarters, up three quarters of a cent. In the wheats, Chicago May down six at five nineteen. Kansas City May down five and three quarters at four forty seven and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat may down four and a quarter at five twenty three and a quarter. September at five forty two and three quarters, down three and a half. For livestock at the Merck live cattle futures, April contract up two dollars seventeen cents, one oh nine eighty two. Feeder cattle, April up two dollars seventy five cents, one thirty five forty five. Cash cattle markets expected to be quiet to begin the week. Lean hog futures, April up twenty two at sixty two fifty. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 72, S&P down 2, April crude oil up $1.21. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. There is more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres? That's smart. In 2019 trials, Credenz CZ1859 GTLL had a 2.9 bushel per acre advantage over a competitive ASGRO variety in South Dakota. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credenz for a precise variety that fits your field. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Appropriate that we have a Missouri guy on with us today as we welcome our newest affiliate, KREI AM800, Farmington, Missouri. Joining us now on Adams on Agriculture, Richard Fordyce, FSA Administrator, also joins us now. Richard, uh, I know you know that Farmington, Missouri area very well. 
I do, Mike. Um, it's a great part of the state. Certainly, uh, very strong agriculture there. So um, glad to hear uh, there's a new affiliate there. And it was great to see you last week in San Antonio at Commodity Classic. You had a chance to talk with a lot of farmers from around the country. You know, we did. And, and you know, Commodity Classic is one of those really special events where, you know, we can get out of Washington and, and have real meaningful conversations with farmers, um, you know, just talk to them about what's going on in their world. Um, we can visit with them about about program implementation uh, sign up, and I know I think we're going to visit about uh, some sign- some program sign ups. Um, but I think you know the mood, the tone. I think was generally positive um, from the farmers that we visited uh, with from the four different commodities that are represented there. All right, let's talk about some different programs. Tell us how CRP sign up went, the general sign up. So, uh, so we're still crunching the numbers. Um, you know, sign up as you know ended. Uh, Friday, the 28th of February, um, we're, we're gathering all of that information, gathering uh, those offers, um, and you know the, the the landowner submits an offer, uh, and and they they get a they get a point total based on what they what they commit to do um, under under the general CRP sign up. Still um, still pulling those numbers together. You know, obviously uh, the deadline was Friday. Uh, but some of those are still coming in that uh, that came in on Friday. So not completely to the end yet, but certainly very close given um, given sign-up ended on Friday. When do you think we will start getting announcements on that? So I would say fairly soon, Mike. And, and so the sign-up deadline, um, you know, the rationale behind – Setting that deadline for the February, for February 28th was so we could get those offers in here, rank them, uh, and then make a selection as to you know above the line or accepted below the line uh, as far as points um, earned below that line. Obviously, we'd have to try another time, and so we wanted we want to do this fairly quickly because we want to be able to notify those that were accepted. So that they can make um, the, the, the right decisions for spring planting, because if these were acres um, that currently aren't in CRP, those seedings will happen in the fall, and so that way they can manage that spring seeded crop uh, and and either plant something that maybe is a shorter variety or stay away from um, you know certain residual uh, chemical programs so that they have good success for seeding, um, seeding next fall. So, um, you know, we, I would say very soon, um, I don't know that we necessarily have a timeline. We're kind of waiting to see how many more offers, you know, come in um, based on the deadline that was last Friday. So I would say fairly soon. Um, certainly we, could, uh, we can visit about that. I, you know, I'm going to say a couple of weeks, three weeks, um, maybe a little longer than that, but we want to do it just as quickly as we can. Do you have a feel for how many total acres might be accepted? Because you can take more this year with the cap raised. Right. So there's a there's a there's a there's an increase in the cap, and then we know we had significant number of acres that will expire. Now they may currently still be under contract, but will expire. Um, you know, October first of 2020. So those acres were also eligible um, to submit offers. So, um, you know, I think, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, but this is the first 
general sign-up that, that landowners have had a chance to participate in since 2016. So certainly a lot of interest. Um, you know, a number of acres that we will be by, by October of 2020, uh, you know, over 5 million acres will be, uh, will be available under the cap. And I don't know kind of, I don't know where the ranking is going to come in. I haven't seen any of those scores or anything, but, but certainly I would think we'll take a, we'll take a significant number of acres, certainly more than we did in 2016 when we were up against, uh, pretty close up against the cap. Talking with FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce. Uh, producers have some big decisions on ARC PLC. Tell us about that. So, exactly right. And, and uh, for the 2019 crop year, ARC PLC sign-up ends on March 16th. You know, we've, we and, and you and, and, and other stakeholder groups have really been helping us get the message out uh, that farmers need to get in. Um, the deadline is March 16th to make elections for crops in those programs, Art County and, and PLC, um, by March the 16th. We have seen um, certainly uh, a real, uh, real flurry of activity in those county offices. Um, we get a report um, every day, and, and, we're, and we're seeing those percentages tick up. As of this morning uh, for 2019, um, nearly 76% of of contracts that we saw in from last year are signed up. Uh, we've got a ways to go, um, and and we just uh, you know we're we're really uh, trying to get the message out to contact your local farm service agency office if you have not signed up or made your elections for ARC or PLC. Those that do not get that done, um, if a payment is triggered for the 2019 crop year, will not receive a payment. So. It's really important that they get in and, and make those elections. Also, you have some more uh, information of producers eligible for some disaster assistance. Yes. Um, so we did announce late last week under our WIP Plus program um, two new eligible causes of loss that would, that would allow producers to qualify, to apply, those being excessive moisture and drought. Uh, and it's for crop years 2018 and 2019. You know, if we think about drought, I don't know that we had many drought uh, areas in 2019, but going back to 2018, you know, we did see significant drought. So, so those producers that were impacted from a crop performance standpoint in 2018 and 2019, two new eligible causes of loss to qualify, excessive moisture and drought. I know it's not your decision to make whether there'll be more MFP payments this year or not, but I would guess uh, you've got you got a few questions and comments about the MFP last week in San Antonio. You know, we did. Um, you know, a lot of questions around will there be an MFP three, um, and also a great deal of appreciation for the MFP two payments um, that went to producers. You know, certainly, and, and you and I have had this conversation before real meaningful dollars at a meaningful time uh, for producers. Um, you know, from an MFP3 uh, standpoint, like you said, that's not my decision to make. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think what the administration, at least at this point, are looking at are, you know, signing of the Phase 1 um, China deal, uh, ratification and signing of USMCA should create an environment of, of more positive 
prices, more uh, more marketing to our really important trade partners. Um, and so I think, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Um, you know, I, I'm confident that we're going to see some, some upward movement, some positive movement in the market based on those um, those achievements, those accomplishments. So, um, you know, let's hope, uh, let's hope that happens. Um, and I think it's more of a wait and see and, um, and see, kind of see where we go on, on these, uh, where, where, where these prices go. Did you hear any concerns raised by producers about where the payments went and the amount to certain parts of the country or certain commodities versus others? No, I didn't. You know, we have heard that in the past, but once you explain how the calculations were, um, you know, how, how those were calculated, um, how we were able to isolate uh, the impact um, to prices based on retaliatory tariffs, based on the volume of exports to certain countries, you know, it's, it's very easy to defend how those formulas were, were derived and how they were implemented. Um, really didn't hear anything uh, at Commodity Classic from folks. Um, really, I think every message that I got was a, was a positive message and an, and an appreciative one as well. Before we let you go, any other programs or sign-ups or deadlines you want to be sure to remind everyone about? Well, again, our PLC sign-up uh, ends March 16th. Um, folks have to notify their office, and if they can't get an appointment because they're booked solid um, through March 16th, if that appointment is after, they're still in, but they have to make sure that they have that appointment ahead of time. And then the additional eligible causes of loss under the WIP Plus program, the excessive moisture and drought, uh, that sign-up will begin March 23rd. So, um um, don't want folks storming the door um, today or tomorrow. That that sign up uh, will not be until March 23rd when they can start to sign up for for that additional cause of loss under the WIP Plus program. All right, good to see you last week. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Richard. All right, Mike. Always appreciate it. Thank you. Take care, FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce. Well, last week we got the announcement on Friday on the biofuels infrastructure money that uh, is being allocated. That is certainly going to be very helpful, and we'll talk a little bit about that, as well as the anticipated announcement this week from EPA on how they're going to handle these small refinery exemptions moving forward, and if that uh, ruling in that recent court case will kind of become the policy moving forward on this for EPA. We'll talk about all that with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, next on AOA. There's more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres, that's smart. In 2019, trials across 10 Midwest states, Credence Soybeans with Liberty Link GT27 averaged 1.8 bushels per acre more than the competitive Enlist E3 soybeans and 1.5 bushels per acre more than the competitive Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credence with Liberty Link GT27. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
A lot happening with biofuels. Last Friday, we were talking about the announcement of the Higher Blends Infrastructure Incentive Program. USDA planning to make available approximately $86 million for implementation activities related to higher blends of ethanol and approximately $14 million for implementation activities related to higher blends of biodiesel. And this week, of course, we're waiting to hear from EPA about uh, their policy moving forward on small refinery exemptions to the RFS. So lots going on, and happy to have with us now Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Let's talk about last week's infrastructure announcement, $86 million, uh, for ethanol. That's, that's welcome news. Oh, it absolutely is welcome news, Mike, and, and we're very excited by that announcement. We, we uh, we're expecting it and uh, happy to see things moving along quickly at USDA uh, to make those funds available to retailers. We know the last time USDA had a similar program, um, it, it helped significantly in advancing the infrastructure for the retail market. Uh, today we're selling E15 at about 2,000 stations nationwide, and, and we have E85 at about 5,000 stations and, and many of those investments and many of those stations were helped by the previous round of USDA funding. So we're hopeful that this new round of funding is, is going to uh, continue to advance uh, the readiness of the retail sector to offer those higher blends of ethanol. So that's good news. You're hoping for even better news this week from EPA. Well, we are. We, we uh, are expecting some word from EPA this week on how the agency intends to deal with the Tenth Circuit Court decision that came out at the end of January, uh, where the courts found that EPA had illegally waived uh, RFS requirements for three small refineries. And we know that decision has much broader implications than just those three refineries. Um, So we're anxiously awaiting uh, some information from EPA on how they intend to uh, comply with that court order. and really, the reason we expect it this week is March 9th, uh, which is a week from today, would be the deadline for EPA to submit a request for an appeal uh, if they intended to appeal that court decision. Um, everything we're hearing is that uh, EPA does not intend to appeal that decision, uh, but until we see that in writing and, and have some more uh, certainty from the agency, uh, we're, gonna, you know, we're just going to hold our breath and, and, and see what the agency has to say here. Well, last week in San Antonio at Commodity Classic, Secretary Purdue really indicating that we're going to see a big change in, in EPA yep. granting of these SREs. There are going to be fewer of them. No specifics, no details. That's what we're waiting to hear. But uh, it, we're hoping he's right. But until we hear from EPA, we just don't know. Yeah, that, that's right. It, we've seen lots of uh, encouraging smoke signals, uh, I, I guess. Uh, from the administration, uh, you know, coming from USDA and EPA and the White House itself uh, on the Tenth Circuit Court decision. Uh, Administrator Wheeler was on the Hill last week uh, during Commodity Classic for, for uh, a hearing, and in, in response to some questions he got, he, you know, indicated as well that EPA is taking a very hard look at the Tenth Circuit decision. They're taking it very seriously and, and hope to have guidance out soon. So, you know, everything we're seeing and hearing, uh, I think the hints we're seeing are, are positive. Uh, but you're right, until we see something in black and white and, and have a, a firm commitment in writing from EPA, um, you know, we're not going to count our chickens until they've hatched. Because you thought you've had something in place before <laughs> and then it didn't happen. 
That's right. We've we've uh, sort of seen this movie before. We've we've thought we had uh, you know agreements and and deals with the White House uh, with EPA on the management of the SRE program and kind of you know how the agency intends to proceed, um, only to see those those deals fall apart or or undercut uh, by sort of last minute meddling from the oil industry. And and we certainly know that the refiners are doing everything they can to try and derail. Uh, this Tenth Circuit Court decision, and uh, you know, push EPA and, and the administration into taking, you know, watering down the the response to that uh, that decision. So uh, we are not going to let that happen, and, and we intend to hold the EPA's feet to the fire uh, on this court decision, and and hope that it applies broadly and nationally, and, and helps get the RFS back on track and, and restore some integrity to that program. You also have some interesting proposed legislation in Congress. Yeah, there is. Uh, you know, we've got several proposals that we're watching in, in Congress. Um, you know, some around the small refinery exemption issue. Uh, we've seen legislation introduced that we support uh, that would bring more transparency to the SRE program um, and, and really set you know set some firmer deadlines for applying for small refinery exemptions. Uh, and we're, you know, lately we're seeing more legislation introduced around, uh, you know, dealing with with climate change and reducing carbon emissions, and and we're certainly taking a close look at that legislation to see what sort of role uh, ethanol may play in in some of those packages. So, uh, lots of uh, lots of action, lots of discussion on the Hill these days, uh, and we're keeping a close eye on all of it. Interesting reaction in the REN market since that court decision. Yeah, that's that's right. We had, you know, at the end of last year, uh, late December, uh, RENs trading for less than a dime. So eight or nine cents is kind of where the market bottomed out. Uh, that's the lowest that had been since 2013. Um, since that time, and really because of this Tenth Circuit Court decision, I think the market is expecting that EPA is, is going to significantly reduce, if not eliminate, the small refinery exemptions um, and really force refiners to comply with their RFS obligations. And, and the reaction we've seen in the REN market is, is you know, nearly a quadrupling of REN prices from those late December levels. We've seen, you know, 38, 40-cent RENs uh, here in the last few days, and, and I think the expectations are they may go somewhat higher. All right, Jeff, we'll watch for that announcement uh, hopefully soon from EPA, and we'll talk again and get your reaction to whatever that announcement may be. All right? Thanks a lot. All right. Appreciate that, Mike. Thank you. All right. Good to talk with you again. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. So we'll be watching closely uh, for an announcement from EPA this week. Also coming up tomorrow, the pork industry continues to respond to imitation meat products. We'll talk about that and more coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions.